about uh, 500 years ago, uh, in fact, exactly 500 years ago, uh, the church um, in many ways had, had lost its way. Uh, had been caught within culture and, and politics and posturing, and uh, there was a great danger that the, the doctrines of God's unique and special graces were uh, really going to be lost. And then one man in particular, a monk uh, named Martin Luther, decided to go back and study the scriptures for himself. And uh, when he did, he discovered that the power of God's grace uh, is life-changing. And he started something really significant about 500 years ago. Many churches are celebrating that today. But one of the things that he said, one of his quotes was this, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And that's exactly why we're going to read from God's Word now and meditate on it. Not because it's just some historic document, because it has great power to change our hearts. I'm going to be reading from uh, Romans 8, and I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 25. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear your voice this morning. So we pray uh, that you would speak to us uh, in your word, that you would reveal to us uh, the absolute beauty of your character and the absolute beauty of the work that you have done in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So speak to our hearts here this morning as we look at your word in Christ's name. Amen. This week I uh, I read a story uh, in the New York Times uh, called What Might Have Been, Uh, and it was written by uh, an author named Jamie Cohn, and she tells a story about how she is an adopted child. She was adopted when she was 
uh, the age of two, and she grew up in a very safe and loving uh, and nurturing environment. She spoke very glowingly of her family. And she also wrote that because she had been adopted at such a young age, she really couldn't remember at all what her life was like before she was adopted. So when she was 24 years old, her mother came to her and brought her the case file that she had had through the adoption process. And she sat down at the table and started reading through this case file and reading all about her, her biological family. And what she discovered is that, that uh, her, her mother in particular had a real flair for trouble. Uh, tragically, she had been uh, addicted on and off to drugs and alcohol. Uh, and it, it was so severe at one point she was in a bar with her two-year-old daughter and tried to give her away to a strange couple. And then uh, just a few months later, her mother ended up killing herself uh, as she was drunk at the wheel during a car accident. And Jamie writes about how as she sat and read this case file, she felt like she was caught between two realities. One was the reality of what her life was, having grown up in a very safe and loving and nurturing environment, and the reality of what her life could have been if she had stayed in her biological family. Now, the Apostle Paul, on two occasions, describes what happens in the gospel as a spiritual adoption, as living in what could have been versus what is. He talks about it in Galatians, and he also uses that illustration here in the book of Romans. In verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is not used a whole lot in the scriptures. It's a very intimate term used for God the Father, which is why it's not used very often. The closest equivalent we have in our language today is daddy. In fact, the only other person to ever use this term in the scriptures was Jesus himself as he spoke to his father. Now, I think all of us probably understand um, what adoption means. Uh, There are some in our church that have been adopted, some that have adopted, others that are hoping to adopt. So many of us grasp the significance and the meaning and power of what it is. And it was just as significant in Paul's day as it is in our own as well. In the Roman world, as one commentator uh, spoke about, an adopted son was a son that was deliberately chosen by an adoptive father to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. No whit inferior in status to a son born by ordinary means. That adopted child at whatever age, their old life, including their debts and their baggage, were completely wiped away in that moment of adoption. So what Paul does is he uses this powerful illustration to tell us something about the gospel. He tells us that the life of spiritual adoption puts away the flesh. He tells us it suffers and groans in the now, and it glories and hopes in the future. And that's what I want to look at this morning. The first is the life of spiritual adoption puts away the flesh. We see this in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you've been with us, we've been studying the book of Romans for the past, uh, gosh, for a year, on and off now. And one of the things that Paul does very frequently all throughout the book of Romans is he is very black and white about really two ways and two destinies in which to live, or two alternatives. And he does that here as well. He argues that if you are not one of God's adopted, then you are an orphaned, estranged from the only source of true life. But you're not just an orphan, you're, you're actually an enemy of God. And this is what our sin does to us. It estranges us from God and it makes us his enemies. Paul calls this the life of flesh. He calls it slavery to fear here in verse 15. But he also wants us to see that even though God's people have been positionally adopted before God... We all still live with the vestiges of our old self within us. Despite being adopted, we are tempted each day to live like orphans or to live like enemies of God. Imagine for a second a a homeless person that in, in one stroke or one incredibly gracious act is brought into a great palace and given the wealth of the entire kingdom. Would that homeless person still dress in the rags that he had dressed in his entire life? No, he wouldn't because it would be incongruent with his new identity. And the truth is that if you are God's chosen, if you are one of his children, and you're like me, then you have the propensity to forget about your new identity. We still often dress and conduct ourselves as if nothing has changed. We forget who God has chosen us to be. Martin Luther chalks this up in many ways to our own forgetfulness, in some ways a, a criminal forgetfulness. He, he said this, he said, here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. This is the truth of the gospel, the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. And he says this, Most necessary is it, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. In effect, what he's saying is that you and I need to beat the gospel into our heads because we are so prone to forget about it. Friend, if you are in Christ, you've been given a new identity. You are a son or a daughter of God. So what Paul argues is stop living out of that old identity. Put away the old lifestyle. Put away the orphan living Put away the flesh because that only leads to death. Live by the spirit of adoption that you have been given. So the life of spiritual adoption, it puts away the flesh, but it also suffers and groans 
in the now. Paul talks about this in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, what we have in Christ and what we have in the gospel is amazing. I want to put up, Brian's going to put up a picture here uh, in a second. Um, uh, there was a lot of attention given to John F- JFK Jr. this week. I don't know if you followed the news at all about some, some, uh, uh, some things that were released, some secret files or something or other. Uh, but as I was watching the news, I was reminded of one of my favorite photos of, of JFK Jr. And I wanted to show it to you. This is obviously a picture of JFK Jr. Or, and, and his child, or JFK, or JFK Jr. is the child, something along those lines, and Caroline Kennedy. And, and what you see is they're in the Oval Office here, and here their father, who is the president of the, the country, and in many ways the leader of the free world, is watching them dance and celebrate, and he's clapping along to them. This has always been a, a special picture for me. Because can you imagine what it would take for you and I to enter into the Oval Office, right? All the secret service, all the the things that we would have to go through in order to enter into the Oval Office. And yet his children, when he was president, had absolute exclusive access to their father. Anytime they wanted, they could rush into the president's office and be celebrated and welcomed by their dad. Well, friends, God is far more powerful than any human president. And yet, if you are in Christ, then you can burst into his presence and be celebrated and loved as a dear child. In fact, he loves you to the same degree as he loves his own son because you have been adopted. All the inheritance, all the blessings that belong to Jesus himself belong to you because you have been adopted. It surely isn't by accident that the only other place where Abba is used to address God is found in the Gospels. And you find it when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying before his Father, pleading that the cup of God's wrath could be passed or taken away from him. And God, his Father, answers him in the no. Jesus would need to endure the wrath of God so that you and I could then call God our Abba. His sacrifice, his suffering is what gained access into the family of God for us. Because of Christ's sacrifice, your and my adoption papers can be signed. What Paul says is, is we experience these blessings in part now, and we will experience them fully in the future. In fact, Paul even describes the life of a child of God as suffering and groaning in the now. He goes on and talks about creation and how creation itself is longing for God to come and bring an end to all the sadness and pain that began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled. And he talks about how the creation is even experiencing birth pains 
looking forward to and awaiting a new day that one day will come. And Paul says the same ought to be true of God's children, because we all live in the in-between. We've been chosen and we've been adopted, but we still are waiting for the full fruition of that adoption to be realized. So in the meantime, we suffer and we groan. We suffer and groan because we live in a fallen world. The world around us is not the way it ought to be. We groan over natural disasters and, and, and the reality of them and family tragedies. We groan over the violence that's in our city and in our neighborhoods. We groan over the sin that remains in our hearts and still seems to gain a foothold each day. We, we groan over broken relationships and estranged loved ones. We long for a day when it's all going to stop. We long for a day when everything that has gone wrong in this world will eventually be made right. We suffer and groan because we live in a fallen world, but also because we walk the same path of Christ. You see, Christ made it very clear that if we choose to follow him with our lives, then we will suffer like he did. He even says at one point, if they hated me, then they will hate you as well. One of my fears with, with the church as a whole is that we have, in, many, in our attempts to be really friendly to seekers, we only talk about, in some ways, the half of the Christian life. We like to talk about all the good stuff, and we ought to, but we, forgot, we forget to mention the sufferings that are true on the path of following Jesus Christ. Because if we truly live out this faith, then Christ promises that we will suffer just as he did. We will experience hostility. We will experience rejection. Jesus even guarantees it to those who walk his path. So what Paul's arguing is there is plenty of suffering to go around while we live in this in-between time. But we also, what he also says is that we don't suffer and groan without hope. The life of spiritual adoption glories and hopes in the future. One of my favorite verses in this passage is verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory... That is to be revealed in us. Paul's saying is one day it will all end. All of it. All the suffering, all the pain, all the frustration, all of it will be gone in the blink of an eye. And we as God's children will experience the fullness of our adoption. We will receive the full inheritance that is waiting for us as God's children. We had, a, we had a couple birthdays in our house this week. So, uh, so what we spent all, all week was managing expectation and anticipation of birthdays. And each day, the, the anticipation and the expectation for the birthday got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and then the birthday came and it was a wonderful celebration. 
But the worst is when the celebration doesn't live up to the expectation. We all know what that's like, right? We're expecting something that just doesn't quite turn out the way we expected. But friends, one of the things the gospel guarantees us is that that will never happen with God. We suffer and we groan now with anticipation, but our expectations will never be dashed. Instead, they will be blown away. Paul says here that the glory that will be revealed is far greater than the suffering. So imagine all the suffering and the sadness that comes from living in a fallen world. All the pain, all the frustration that we live in each day. And it will all pale in comparison to the greatness of the celebration that awaits us. C.S. Lewis would be the first to acknowledge that there is wonderful and great joys that are in this life. And we've all experienced them before. That our world is mixed with joy and happiness and suffering and pain. But one of the things that he argued is that the glory of heaven is so great that it will make this life look like just a bad dream that we have woken up from. You see, a follower of Jesus recognizes that what we experience in part now We will experience in fullness in the life to come. And that gives us something that is precious in our world. It gives us hope. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, in the meantime, we struggle And we hope for what is to come. We choose not to live like orphans trying to to suck out of this world what we can only receive in Jesus Christ. We don't live like orphans trying to build our identity in the things of this world. Instead, we as God's adoptive children look forward in hope to the fullness of our redemption. We root our identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in who we are in Christ. We suffer and groan with the realities of this world, but we suffer and groan as people who have hope. And so, friends, if you are Christ's, then celebrate your adoption. Celebrate the first fruits, the down payment that we have now in Jesus Christ. As Jack Miller writes, celebrate care because your father takes care of you and he protects you. Celebrate your inheritance. You get a share of everything your father owns. Celebrate love. Your father accepts you. He enjoys spending time with you, listening to you. Celebrate honor. Your share in your father's name and reputation. As J.I. Packer wrote, Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God as judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God as our Father is the greatest.
Let's pray.